morning. My name is Jason Davis. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Charleston Baptist. Thank you for being with us this morning. We are going to be in the book of Galatians. We are continuing our study, our walk through uh, the book of Galatians, and we're seeing the gospel of grace that has been poured out, that has been played out, uh, that, that Paul is preaching to or writing to the churches in Galatia. And they're facing a, a great danger, a great battle there in the churches in Galatia. And they're being uh, wooed away, uh, uh, whisked away, taken away. Their minds are going toward a, a false gospel. They're, they're starting to wander away from the truth. And there's a great danger that Paul has perceived in the churches there. And he's writing this letter to build the defense, to build up the strength of the believers there in Galatia. But guess what? That letter was not just written to them, it was primarily written to them, but God has used that letter to speak to us as well, to build up our defenses from walking away from the faith, from adding anything to the gospel of grace that you and I have been given. So we're in Galatians chapter five. Uh, We're gonna be looking one through 12. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a Bible in the chair in front of you. Uh, You can open that Bible up to uh, 1077. And we're looking at Galatians chapter five. What does it mean to stand firm? We're going to see that in this first verse, but I want us to start thinking about what does it mean to stand firm? What what picture comes to mind when you think of stand firm? Uh, When I think of stand firm, uh, I started thinking about it, and one of the things that came to mind was like one of those guards that stand at the uh, tomb of the unknown soldier, and they stand guard, and they walk, proceed up and down, and they're there on duty. They're alert. They're paying attention, and they stand firm they're not easily distracted or another image that kind of commonly commonly came to mind was uh the image of uh, one of the guards and i think it's like uh at the palace in england or something where they had the big hat anybody know what i'm talking about I don't really know what that's all about, um, but I've just seen it in movies and seen how like people will go up to them and try to get them distracted and stuff. Now, I don't know what they do in real life, but in the movie, at least, they're, they stand firm. They're not easily distracted. They're not, their attention is not easily taken away from their task. They stand firm. Have that in mind this morning. When we're talking about what, what Paul is telling to the churches in Galatia, what, what Christ is telling us today is to stand firm. Listen to this in chapter one, uh, excuse me, chapter five, verse one. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I wanna back up just one verse there. Last week, uh, Pastor Kevin did an amazing job of walking through some some tough verses that could be uh, hard to understand, but backing up all the way into Genesis to see the context of these two covenants that Paul refers to allegorically. And there's two covenants, a covenant of slavery and a covenant of freedom. And he says that you, that in Christ, you were born into the the covenant of freedom, not the covenant of slavery. And here he, he reiterates that for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The first point for this morning is stand firm in the freedom we have in Christ from the law, that Christ has freed us from the law, that we have been free from this, meaning that we are no longer yoked or burdened by the law. This idea of yoke uh, is a, not the egg, but it's this this, um, piece of equipment that was used in farming in those days. 
and they would yoke animals together. They would put two oxen together and they would put a piece uh, to drive them together so that they would be in unison. They were bound together. So wherever one went, the other went. One, if one went one way, the other went that way. They were bound together. And what, what Paul is saying, you have been released from that. You are no longer yoked to the law. That you've been freed from that. And this is an amazing, beautiful thing. That we long for freedom. And I, I think about in America and how, man, and that, that is in many times our motto, freedom. You can't tell me what to do. That I'm independent, I am free. And in some ways, the American culture has been built on that. And the American greatness has built upon independence. But in Christ, it's a little bit different. In Christ, freedom doesn't mean that you're set free to do whatever you so please. But in Christ, we are free from the cycle of trying to work for our salvation. We are freed from this endless cycle of being good enough. Have you ever in your life felt like you weren't good enough? Man, I know I have. I felt like I wasn't a good enough father. I felt like I'm not a good enough husband. I felt like I'm not a good enough pastor. I felt like I'm not a good enough friend. But even in all of that, I've been set free. I don't have to prove myself to God. I've been released from that burden. I've been unyoked and freed from that. And he said, in your freedom, in your freedom, don't put it back on. Don't put the chains back on your neck and be yoked back to that. Because that was the issue in the churches in Galatia. They had some people infiltrating the church and saying, hey, it's Jesus. He's great. Keep Jesus but also, if you really want to be saved, you have to be circumcised as well. And we'll see that in a little bit. They added, they added a component to Jesus. And Paul says, no, don't, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We have freedom from the yoke of the law. And we see down in uh, Galatians 5.13, for you were called to freedom. Again, this idea of freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That true freedom isn't just doing whatever you're wanting to do, but true freedom is being truly human as God has designed you. It's living out the purposes that, the way in which God has built you and I. That is true freedom. Anything else is going into slavery. Slavery of sin, slavery of the law. Freedom in Christ is not selfish gain. So when we are free, it's not turning inward and saying, look at me, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want to. But this freedom that God gives us is freedom to, oh, I get to serve you now. I get to love you without requiring anything back from you. I get to glorify God without trying to earn my salvation. That's the freedom that our hearts long for. It's true freedom that is only found in Christ. I think about this freedom in light of Genesis and how in, in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they were free. They were free. They were, they were given boundaries though. The, the garden had in a sense boundaries because we see that they were kicked out of the garden. Um, and so even before that, they had boundaries and they were free to play. They were free to do, but there was guidelines still. There was one guideline that this tree don't eat of that one, but all the other ones enjoy. And it wasn't that God was mean or horrible or taking away all their fun. Actually, he was releasing them to, in a sense, the, the wild freedom to enjoy all these good creation, all of it. They were to enjoy and to work. But he had guidelines for them because 
and freedom, we always have guidelines. The yoke of slavery was the law and it was a burden. It was a burden to the people. It was a burden to the Jews. It required perfection and holiness, which they were never able to keep, which even from the outset, they were never able to keep. Again, go back and listen to the sermon. Go back and look at Genesis and how over and over again, we look at the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and we see the story of Israel, their birth, but also their continual going back into slavery in various ways because of their lack of following the guidelines that God had followed them or given them. This yoke of slavery was a burden. I love how uh, Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, talks about this. He says this, you are not under the law, but under grace. Do not subject yourselves, therefore, to legal principles. Do not live as if you were working for wages and were earning your own salvation. Do not submit yourselves to the ritual and commandments of men, which would rob you of your liberty in many ways. But having once become free men, never again wear the chain of a slave. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free. Because you are the seed of Isaac who was born according to the promise. You are not the children of the bondwoman. You are not Ishmaelite. Therefore, as you were born free, as Christ has made you free by ritual of your new birth, stand fast in that glorious liberty. Think about this. You were given a new birth. You were born again in Christ. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are submitted to Christ in faith that you were born again and we are not to put that yoke back on us. So we are to stand firm in the freedom we have in Christ from the law. But then as we continue down through these verses, uh, two through six, stand firm in the faith we have in Christ alone. Paul is urging the churches there to stand firm in the faith we have in Christ alone. In Christ alone is the key aspect there. Is that not Christ and these good works? It's not Christ and these rituals. It is in Christ alone. Paul says in verse two, look, ah, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For through the spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. Verse two and three, we see there, he says, look. Again, he's saying, pay attention. That don't just walk through life blindly. Don't just take everything that everyone says, take it all in and it's all true. Man, this is so true even today that you have to be so careful. As you are on the internet, as you are uh, going through life, you have to be on guard, be watchful. He says this in, uh, in chapter three uh, as well to to be awake, be aware. Look, pay attention to what you are saying. Think about what you are about to do. Now he says, look, pay attention. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep part of the law, a piece of the law. No, the entire law. That's what the law required is not just one piece. You couldn't just take one piece out of, oh, I'm a really good person because I don't steal. I've never stolen from anybody. So I, oh, I'm great with the law. No, it's all the law. 
You break one piece, you've broken it all. You keep one, yeah, I keep it all. And Christ is of no avail to you. Pay attention. Uh, sometimes we, we don't quite understand the ramifications of our words. Uh, and I think that's what's going on here is for the Christians there. I think the Judaizers know what's going on and what they're calling the, the Christians there to do is to submit to that yoke of slavery. But the Christians are, uh, uh, the, the church there is being wooed away and not quite seeing the full picture. The ramifications of what they are about to endure if they go this route, that they will be severed from Christ. That Christ means nothing to you if you're willing to go this route because Christ doesn't share that place with anyone. He doesn't share that position of savior with anyone or anything else. It is only Christ that saves. When we say yes to something, that means we're saying no to something else. When we say no to something, that means we're saying yes to something else. And that's what they hear. They, they need to wake up, pay attention, that when you say yes to circumcision, you're saying yes to the entire law. And guess what? They couldn't handle that. Paul knows that. Paul is saying, you can't handle that. That will sever you from your Savior. That will sever you from the law of grace, salvation through grace. That will take you away from that. And that's what happens to us when, when we think we got it under control, when we think we can do the good works to make ourselves acceptable to God. And no, you can't. And we see that here. And then in verse four, um, we see that again, you severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. Then we see in verse five that for through, through the spirit, it's through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. This end, end of time, when we come before God in judgment, the righteousness that we display toward God, it can be either our righteousness or the righteousness of Christ. Which one will satisfy the wrath of God? It is only the righteousness of Christ. Our righteousness, standing before a holy God, Scripture says it's like filthy rags. That when we think we've worked all the good deeds, when we've done all the good things, and we come and stand before a holy, perfect God, and he looks upon us, and we present our righteous deeds, he says, those are just filthy rags away. But when we come before God, and we say, we have no righteousness but the righteousness of Christ, and we present the righteousness of Christ before God at judgment, and he looks at the righteousness of Christ, that is perfection, and that's what satisfies the wrath of God. Nothing of our own. That's the hope that we long for, that we look forward to. And it's not in you and I. Again, it's by the Spirit. What does the work in you and what does the work in me? It's by the Spirit, but it's by our faith as well. I love the beauty of Scripture. It's, it's God that saves us, but it's us that has faith. God provides faith and we are to have faith. That he has called us and commanded us to obey him and to live in light of his word, but he strengthened us to do so. Again, it's this interconnected dependence upon God and the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in you and I. So we are bound. We are bound with Christ. We are freed from the yoke of the law. We are bound with Christ. And then verse six. And he says this, for in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love and this last last point of verse six this this little section here in christ alone he's saying your rituals are not what's going to save you you're not doing the rituals 
is not what's going to save you. That's really not the debate here. He's taken it out of the framework of circumcision versus uncircumcised and the Judaizers. He's taken a ball out of their court and saying, it's not even about that. It's not about that debate. It's all about Jesus and what are you going to do with him? Do you love him? Are your, is your faith going to stand firm in him? Or are you going to put your faith in your own works and your own deeds and the works of the flesh? The main point was really not about that circumcision, but it's about Christ and him alone. Only salvation in Christ alone. Not about the rituals. And then our last point is stand firm in truth. We stand firm in the freedom. We stand firm in the faith in Christ alone. But now we stand firm in truth. Verses seven through 12. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He, he has this deep connection and passion for them. This deep love for them. I saw how well you were doing. I was with you. I shared the gospel with you. I taught you. You were running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. This lie that is going around the church, it's not from God. It's not from him. Verse nine, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. If, but if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Man, some strong words and people over the course of history had, have, have had some issue with some of this, this language that Paul uses. In some ways, how harsh he was to the, the church here. But it's not out of anger. It's not out of harshness. It's out of love and passion and compassion for them that he speaks to them in this manner. You were running so well. Who has hindered you from obeying the truth? We look back at uh, chapter 3, verse 1. This is, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Again, he's going to that, what is going on with you? What are you doing? Parents in here, I, I've kind of had this moment with some of my kids, but you, you see what they're doing, and in some ways you want to grab their head and look them in the eye and say, what are you thinking, right? There are moments when you have that, or maybe there's moments with a coworker, you're like, you want to grab them, you don't, don't touch them, but you want to grab them and look them in the eye and say, what were you thinking? What are you doing? Have you lost your mind? And that's how serious this is. This issue is that serious of how could you even think that? Why would you ever even go that route? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And then eight and nine, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Sometimes we think, oh, it's just a small lie. It's not that big a deal. And that's what was going on here. They were presented as, oh, it's not that big a deal. You have Christ. Yes, keep Christ. But, you know, circumcision, you just need to do that. Just do that one thing. And Paul has pointed out over and over again, it's not just that one thing. When you do that one thing, you're now accepting all of this. And he's saying, you don't want to go that route. You don't want to go that route. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That means that one little lie that they're trying to teach the churches in Galatia will end up destroying them altogether. It will sever them from Christ. It will sever, sever them from the gospel of truth. Man, 
You see how important this is. And I want you to be aware of that. That just that one little lie, when it infiltrates and you take it into your heart and you begin to live in light of that, it can destroy you. I think about our culture and the idea of autonomy. This idea of self-governance, meaning that I am in control. And in some ways, many would say, even as believers, that you, know, that you are in control of you know, taking care of your body and you know, doing, uh, as believers, to following the Lord, being obedient to what he's called you to. And we think of this idea of autonomy, but our culture has maximized this, has blown this up, and where that we are God of ourself, that we decide everything, even to, this, to the point of gender even to the point of sexuality that we decide everything there's nothing outside the realm of the autonomous being in the uh in the west but that is so destructive it destroys the body it destroys the mind it destroys the culture in which we live in this idea that we are autonomous and we don't have to answer to anyone or anything else that just follow your heart I was doing an exercise uh, yesterday and on uh, this guy was, I was biking and the instructor was trying to motivate the people in the class uh, as well as me uh, riding because I was huffing and puffing and I was, whew, it was bad. But he was trying to motivate us and he was saying, you be you, do whatever you want to do. You follow your heart. And as I'm trying to get oxygen into my body, I'm thinking, man, how, how destructive is that? How actually he doesn't really believe that because as sinful human beings, if we follow our sinful hearts, it leads to great destruction and great heartache and great pain and great wickedness that we've seen in our world because people follow their own heart. They follow their own desires. No, God has much more for us. He has greater things for us. That little lie can infiltrate all of you, all your mind. So again, stand firm. Stand firm in the truth even with the small, what may be seemingly small lies, but we might not quite see the complete ramifications like the church in Galatia. They didn't quite see how, oh, if I take that, uh, actually, it's a big deal. It was a big deal. And then we see that Paul is confident. So he, he's been harsh. He's, he's called them out. He's, he's writing this letter to them. Um, in a sense, I feel as, as we read this letter, you can, see, you can see his heart breaking. There's heartache there as a father would, uh, would care for his children. And we see that he has confidence. In verse 10, I have confidence in who? Who does he have confidence in? I have confidence in you, Galatians, as you read my letter, that you will repent and you will cast the Judaizers out of the church and you will follow the truth. Is that who he has confidence in? No, not at all. His confidence isn't in them. It's in the Lord. And this is encouraging for you and for me. Our confidence is in who God is and who his character is and what his character is, not in us. Again, it is what the Lord is doing. Confidence is in the Lord it says, but I, or in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. That justice will come, whether it's gonna be in this life or the next. The one who is destroying this church will bear the penalty for it. They will bear the wrath of God for their false teaching. 
because they are pulling people away from Christ, not to Christ. They're, they don't have salvation in Christ, but apart from him, which is no salvation at all. And they will bear the penalty of that. They will bear it either in this life, what he's saying, or in the life to come in the wrath of God. Jude 24 says this, speaking of the confidence in the Lord and how it is in Paul's faith is in the Lord to preserve them and to help them persevere in strength. The Lord will preserve them and he will also help them persevere in the face of lies and difficulties. Jude 24 says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. That we have confidence in the Lord. I, my confidence in my salvation is not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I seek to obey God and do what he has commanded me to do because I feel, again, I've already admitted that I have issues with confidence in being a father and being a husband and being a pastor and all these issues. But my confidence, my boldness, it lies and my faith lies in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. And so when I know what's coming before me, when I know death is coming for me, I do not have to fear death because I know the one that stands for me. That one day he, he gives me his righteousness. That even in my failures, he can use those to his glory. That he is so good when we seek after him. Verse 11. But if I, brother, still preach uh, circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In, the, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. He's saying in, in this circle, it seems to be that maybe some of the Judaizers were telling the churches that, hey, not only is you should do this, but you know, Paul is actually, he's, he's agreeing with us. And Paul's, he's shutting down that lie. He's cutting off that lie. He's dismissing that lie of never would I ever add anything to the gospel of grace. Never would I add anything to salvation in Christ alone. He would never do that. And the offense of the cross. He's saying, if I, if I went that route, I wouldn't be in the situation, man, where people are attacking me because of this. It would have been easier for me to go that route, but the truth is greater than the persecution that will come at me. And he's willing to stand firm in the truth. And the cross of the salvation, uh, the cross of Christ is offensive. We as believers don't have to be offensive. The cross and the message of the gospel is offensive enough. As we present the message of the gospel, it says that you can't earn your salvation, that you are not good. And then actually when you follow your heart, it, follows, it takes you to evil places. But God says that you need a new heart, that you need to take that heart of stone and make it into a heart of flesh. But you can't perform that heart surgery. Only God can do that. That's the offense of the cross is that the power doesn't reside in you. And that you can't earn that. You can't make yourself acceptable to God. But the power relies in God and him alone. And that we have to trust in him and put our faith in him. That's the offense of the cross. That's why we should be offensive to our culture. Not because of how we treat them. Not because of how we talk to them. In fact, the very opposite. We should love them greatly. We should give sacrificially to our neighbors and our, and our community. Sacrificially. So much so that they know that we don't care about the things of this earth because we have a heavenly place that we long for and that we await for and that we can give all this stuff away because there's something greater for us and we can give it all away because I have something greater ahead of me. Man, what if we all lived in light of that? How beautiful that would be 
to our neighbors around us? And how many, co- how many workers, how many employers was, would want Christians if that was their identity, if that was their thought ma- pattern, is that I'm gonna serve as hard as I can because I'm serving the Lord, that I'm gonna give as much as I can give because I know what weights have had of me, ahead of me and these are just temporary treasures. They won't last. I can give it away. Man, what an amazing truth. And then closing it out in verse 12, I wish those who unsettled you those that were causing this division, causing this disruption in the church, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Again, we're talking about this issue of circumcision versus uncircumcision, and this seems a little extreme. Paul, uh, hey, easy, we have children in the room. You don't need to be using this kind of language. But what he's doing, he's saying, again, you say it's just this one little thing, but it's so much bigger. And also when he's writing this letter contextually, we see from history that in this region, there was a pagan cult that they would do this. They would emasculate themselves completely. And they did that as a ritual to their pagan God as service. And he's saying, if you want to just go to that, just go all the way. You think a little bit of cutting off a skin is is good? How about just cut off a lot more? Man, or he could have been, Paul here, it could have double meaning. And what he's also referring to is in Deuteronomy, where there's a law that those that were eunuchs uh, by choice or have crushed that area, that they were severed or they were separated, they were cut off from the assembly of the Lord. And he's telling them, you think this makes you enter into the assembly of the Lord? You think circumcision gets you entry in? Why don't you just cut it off because you're actually severing that entry, you're severing that connection with the community. So as we see here, we are to stand firm in the truth. My prayer is that you and I, we would guard our hearts and our minds as we are bombarded by many messages all the time, that we don't just soak them in, that we don't just sit on the couch and drink in all these messages, or we don't just get on our phone and thumb through and thumb through and thumb through and keep on going and drink in all these messages without any guard, without any mindset of what is actually being taught to you. Because Satan is amazing at his job. He is deceptive. And he has had a lot of time to hone his skills on lies. Because there are many times it looks good. It looks okay. Ah, it's just a little, you know, just to fudge it a little bit. It's not that big a deal. But we see here a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. My prayer is that we would stand firm in our freedom. We would stand firm in our faith and we would stand firm in the freedom and and, in the truth. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time. What an amazing God you are to give us your word as you have spoken to the churches there in Galatia and as you speak to us, Father, that we would stand firm in the freedom we have in Christ from the law that we don't have to work out, work our salvation. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to make ourselves acceptable to you. Father, we have to repent of our sin. We have to come to faith in you, Jesus, that you are our savior and you share that spotlight with no one or nothing else. Father, may we stand firm in the freedom. May we stand firm in the faith. May we stand firm in the truth. Father, I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.